Good morning, everyone. So good to see all of you here this morning. And those of you joining us online, my name is Jay. And we are in a sermon series called The Life of the Sun, looking at during this Lenten season, Lenten is a this 40-day period leading up to Easter, Resurrection Sunday, looking at the life of Jesus. And this morning, we're going to see how Jesus defines greatness. So to begin, I need your help. I need your help. A little interactive. I'm going to show you two photos side by side, and you're going to shout out to me who is greater, not necessarily better or bigger or richer, just who is greater. Are you ready for this? Just shout it out. Okay, here's the first picture. Superman versus Spider-Man. Who is greater? Wow. Okay. King David versus Apostle Paul. Paul's a bald head guy. He's writing the letter, right? Paul. All right. Okay. That's, you guys were not so sure. Minecraft versus Fortnite. If you have no idea what that is, ask a third grader. How about this one? Sriracha or Tabasco sauce? Sriracha. That's right. Okay. So, you know, it, it's, it, is, it, is, it is not a bad thing to be considered great in life. Did you know that? For us to strive to be great. You know, I tell my kids all the time, do great things, go after it, go dominate. So I, I tell these to my kids. You know, God has given to each one of us the desire to be great. And, you know, I think we want our lives to count and for our lives to have, have a meaning and to do great things. And I would argue with you that that's very natural. That's what it means to be a human, for us to do great things. And the reason for that is because God created us in God's own great image, right? And God created us to do great things. Apostle Paul tells us that we are created in, in God's masterpiece, his identity. So God made us to be great, but I think where we get it wrong is when our definition of greatness is based on what the world thinks of greatness. And here's what I mean by this. In, in Genesis chapter three, we know the story of Adam and Eve and, and what do they do? They, they reach out and they go after the forbidden fruit. And, and from that point on, uh, the, the definition of greatness gets distorted and warped. Since that point on, the human beings, we've been, we've been reaching out and grasping for power and influence. And we think to, re to be great, we need to, to go after status and influence and, and power. But, so, but Jesus, he, he redefines greatness. So what I'd like to do this morning is to take us to Luke chapter 22 and see how Jesus defines greatness. So Luke chapter 22, if you're new to reading the Bible, that can be found in the third book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, chapter 22, verses 24 through 27. I'm going to be teaching verse by verse today. By the way, at the 11 a.m. hour, as Jalen mentioned, we have third grade Bible Sunday and I'm going to be telling the third graders how I put together a message, a sermon. And the way I do that is I normally, when I read the Bible, I ask myself three questions. The first question is, what does the Bible passage say to the original audience? Right? What does the Bible passage say to the original audience? Second question is, what is the timeless truth? What is always true for all of people at all times in all places? And the final question is, now knowing what I know, what am I going to do about it? What does that mean for us today? So watch how I weave in these three themes throughout the message. So here we go. Verse 24, it goes like this. 
a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. So here's the scene. Here's the original scene. The disciples are having a Passover meal. And Passover meal was one of those once-in-the-year, very formal, traditional meal that commemorated God's faithfulness and God's forgiveness. This was a very important for the people of Israel. And here's Jesus having this meal with his friends, some of his closest friends. They spent, they did life together for three years or so. And here they are, and, and, and the gospel writer tells us that in the middle of this holy meal, an argument breaks out between the disciples. And they're saying, who is the greatest person in this room? Like, who, who has the most followers? Who has that blue verified badge, of, uh, badge on Instagram and, and Twitter, right? Who, who has most followers? And you can imagine the disciples in their own mind. They are like thinking, their wheels are turning on their own, personally reflecting and wondering, I may be the greatest. You could, you could almost hear John saying, I think I'm the greatest because Jesus called me the beloved disciple, right? I know I'm the greatest because Jesus told me so. I am beloved. You could hear Peter saying, no, 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 I, I, I am the greatest because I walked on water. Everybody else is a loser. This is, this is silly. Like these are, they were getting into these arguments to who is greater. And the, but the truth is this. Scholars actually tell us that the argument, this friendly debate about who is greater was somewhat normal in the first century Middle Eastern culture. And you see this pop out throughout the Gospels. Uh, when you read, for example, in Matthew chapter 9, chapter 10, Matthew 23, Luke 9, Luke 22, John chapter 13, all over in the Gospels, you see... Uh, disciples arguing to see who is greater. It's, it, it's as if they're, it's ingrained in their culture. And by the way, we do this right too, right? We, we call this in our society one-upmanship, one-upmanship, which is a, the habit of trying to one-up everything someone says or does. So pretend, like pretend like you're having a conversation with a good friend. This one happened to us, our people, but just pretend. And you say to your good friend, you know, I am so excited because my daughter got into, got accepted into college to go to UT Austin uh, this fall. And I'm just, she works so hard and I'm so excited. And your friend responds, man, I, I'm so happy for you. You're right. It's, UT Austin is a great school. My child got into Harvard. <laughs> then, you know, you're taken back by that comment. So you try and be nice and say, you know, you know, you should come over to my house because we just renovated our home. We have a brand new kitchen, see all the appliances. Just come hang out with me. And your friend says, you know what? I would love to do that. I want to invite you to my home as well. Our third home in Florida <laughs> on the beach. Now, now, so, man, we love to play this one-upmanship. The, the idea of making yourself feel superior to the others, broadcasting how wonderful your life is, how your, your life is so great. So we do this on social media. We say things like, you know, see my vacations, see my friends, see the party that I was at with my friends while I was vacationing in Paris. It, it, the world wants you to display and, and have this one-up mentality and show how great we are. But Jesus says to his disciples in verse 26, not so with you, not so with you. And he says there's a, there's a vast difference between the worldly greatness versus kingdom greatness. And Jesus says what lies at the heart of greatness is how we view people. 
because the world's definition of greatness is how we, how, how we use people and step on them and climb to the top. But God's kingdom definition of greatness is how we serve people and we actually step down and we die to our own needs. And as followers of Jesus, we're being called to reject worldly greatness. Watch what Jesus says in verse 25. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. Now, that word benefactors is an interesting word. Uh, in other translations, that word benefactor is capitalized with capital letter B because it's a title given to those people who are living in the Greco-Roman world. And during the days of Jesus, benefactors were people who had power and authority and they were seeking status and attention. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with having wealth and power, right, and influence, because wealth and power can be used for good in our society. That's a good thing. But during the days of Jesus, these benefactors, they were doing good things, but they were doing good things to be seen by others, to be recognized by, by others. They would give money to their people. Why? They would throw a party on their behalf and say, how wonderful you are, how great you are. Can you believe people back then did that? We don't do that now here. By the way, I think this is why that term, uh, what's it called? It's called virtue signaling, got real popular in the last few years, right? It's, it's, it, virtue signaling is an attempt to show others that you are a good person by posting something online to pretend that you exhibit good character, a social conscience. And Jesus says, not so with you. Not so with you. Don't play that game. Because Jesus is always seeking our heart, our motives. Because more than actions, God, God cares about our heart. Why are we doing certain things that we do? And did you notice that Jesus doesn't get really mad at his disciples when they were arguing to see who is greater? He doesn't, he doesn't get mad, but actually he, he redirects the conversation and gives them a new vision of what greatness looks like. Look at verse 26. Watch how he does this. He says, The greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader one who serves. So let me, let me try to break this down. Because when we hear the term youngest in verse 26, like in our mind, that's a good thing, right? We want to feel young. We like youthful energy. We like young people. Parents spend lots of money on their young ones too to compete at the highest level. Being, being young is a good thing today. But, but back in the days of Jesus, uh, if you were youngest, if you were young, you were considered the lowest in, our, in, in the society. Uh, you, you were not seen by others. Uh, young ones were considered nobodies. So Jesus, fully knowing this, he flips the script. And he says, you want to be great? Okay, be the youngest. If you want to be great in my kingdom, in my world, you need to be youngest. What I meant by that is be willing to be hidden and live a life of obscurity. Because it is okay to not be seen. It is okay for people to not notice you. There's a passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11, where Paul says this. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Now, what is he talking about here? 
Here's a question for you. How many of us came into this room today, this sanctuary, thinking that I want to make today not about my life, but my ambition is to lead a quiet life? Was, was that on your mind? Because it wasn't for me, right? That's not how we normally live. That's not how we usually think because we're living in times where self-promotion is normal. It's expected, right? We like status. We want followers. We like bigger platforms. And by the way, it, it is okay to have bigger platforms. That is okay. But if we're reaching out and grasping for it, we're constantly going after it and pursuing things, then our heart may be distorted. Our modus, modus may not be right. And as God's people, we need to remember that God is the one who entrusts us with different sphere of influence and degrees of power to serve his people. So think about this for a moment. Um, think about Jesus. What did Jesus do when he was in third grade? Does anyone know here? Probably not. It's okay. What did Jesus do when he was 21 years old? What did he do? He know the word. He was a carpenter, right? What did Jesus do when he was 25? Probably a carpenter. How about 28? A better carpenter, yes? This is Jesus, the Son of God we're talking about, and we have no clue what the life of the Son was like in his mid-20s. It's as if he lived his life it's as if he lived his life to quiet down his ambition and to live a quiet life. Jesus lived that out. And can, I, can I share with you that obscurity is a gift in life? I, I know this sounds very countercultural, but there, there are times or seasons when it is okay for us to be hidden and not be known. Because time will come and seasons will come when God will give us those opportunities, whatever it may look like for you, however small or big those may be, where God will give you assignments, where you will be in the spotlight in your own, in your own life, whatever that may look like, and for you to do great things. You know, there's a reason why Moses, when he was born, he was hidden. Did you know that? For three months uh, by his parents. There's a reason for that. Did you know that Joseph in the Old Testament, he was in prison for several years, hidden, before he became a public figure? And being hidden and out of limelight gives you a chance to have development, to, to work out your struggles, to develop character, especially when no one is looking. As one pastor reminded me, I think the issue, he said, that, that the people, especially young people have these days, is that we're, we're climbing for success. We're going after, we're chasing after success without being properly trained for it. And we're not ready for it. And we don't want to strive for greatness on our own because you'll be exposed. You don't want anything before your season and because there's a time for everything, a season for every activity in heaven, right? Ecclesiastes chapter 3. God hides us because he loves us, and God protects us in obscurity. So, so one path, so the one path of experiencing and embracing God's greatness is to, is to willing to embrace obscurity. 
And here's another path. It's living a life of service, being a servant leader. Listen to verse 27. For who is the greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is not the one who reclines at table, but I am among you as the one who serves. So here's, here's how Jesus illustrates this, this passage. So pretend that you are at a very nice restaurant. Let's say it's three stars, Michelin ranked. By the way, there are only 13 of them in the United States. Very fancy restaurant. You go in, you're watching people. You see these people dress very nicely, and, and they're having this very fancy meal in a beautifully decorated table. And you see people waiting on them, and Jesus says, okay, all right, who, who is the greatest in this scene? And most of us instinctively would say, well, it's, it's those people who look important, who are dressed nicely. And Jesus says, not so with you. Don't have that kind of mindset because I came to not sit at the table, but to be a waiter. You know, there's, there's another verse that says, I did not come to be served, Jesus says, but to serve. And what he meant by that is that he, he came into the world to, 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 to live out this idea of self-sacrifice, to, to die to his own needs. And the truth is that even if you've been a Christian for a long time, we need to constantly relearn this because God is far more interested in why you serve others than in how well you serve them because he's always looking at your heart. He's always, Jesus wants us to serve out of gratitude for what God has done for us. So during this season of Lent, I want to share with you a couple of just small ways, small uh, spiritual practices on how we could develop this posture of servant heart. And here's the first question that we could ask on a regular basis. Do you allow others to serve you? Do you allow others to serve you? And I think this is a very appropriate question for people living in Dallas because we tend to be go-getters. We like to be independent, right? Like when others are trying to help you, do you respond by saying, no, 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 I got this. I got this. I don't want to be a burden to you. Do you say that? Or people give something to you, a gift, or they try to do something nice to you, and you feel obligated to do something back for them. It's really hard for you to receive other people's help. Because I don't know about you. This is true for me. I know I do. Because I like to do things on my own. I like to be independent. And something about being coming from an immigrant family. We had to figure out life on our own. And I remember talking to one of my mentors, and he said, Jay, perhaps, perhaps the reason why you have a hard time receiving help from other people is because deep down inside, deep down inside, there's a little bit of pride. Actually, actually a big pride. Because you don't want to appear weak or needy in front of people. And he was right. And he was right. Because, uh, you know, not being able to receive from others is a heart issue. So imagine I told my wife, Lisa, who loves to help and serve, if I told her, honey, I don't need anything. I am self-sufficient. I don't really need you. I can do things on my own. You cannot do anything for me. It would absolutely crush her, right? It would destroy her. And the truth is, you're robbing others of an opportunity to serve you. True or false? Did Jesus, did, did, did other people serve Jesus? True or false? 
true, yes, right? Jesus allowed others to serve him. Mary, the sister of Lazarus, uh, gave that expensive perfume and anointed Jesus. Anointed Jesus. Martha prepared meals for Jesus. Um, um, who else? Joanna gave money to Jesus and his disciples so that they could do ministry. Even the Son of God received help and allowed others to serve. So we need to allow other people to serve us, to help develop our own heart. And here's the second practice, second question. Do you allow Jesus to serve you? Do you allow Jesus to serve you? For instance, when you are having a conversation with Jesus, we call that prayer. When, you, when, you're, when you're telling Jesus, Jesus, I'm feeling sad. Jesus, I'm feeling lonely. Jesus, I have anxiety in my life. When, when you have that kind of conversation with Jesus, do you allow Jesus to minister to your heart? Do you create that space in your life for Jesus to be your friend when you're lonely? For, for Jesus to give you peace when you're feeling anxious? Because Jesus, he loves to serve us. He, he delights in serving you just the way you are. You know, one of the joys that I have as, as one of your pastors is that you allow me to enter into your inner thoughts whenever we have conversations. It's a very sacred moment. And one of the themes that, that I hear throughout the years is that it goes something like this. Jay, you don't want to know about my past. I've sinned. I've been bad. I've made a big mess of my life. I'm embarrassed how I lived my life in the past. You just don't want to know. And what we try to do is we try to fix our life on our own, and we try to clean our life up so that we can come back to church or come back to God. But the truth is that there are certain things that you cannot fix on your own. And you need Jesus. And you need to let Jesus to serve you. And Jesus says, hey, I want to serve you. You're, are you feeling lonely? Let me, let me serve you. Are you feeling hurt? Can I serve you? Don't carry that burden all by yourself. Are you grieving? And Jesus says, okay, let me, let me come next to you. Let me just hold you. Let me carry you. This is our Jesus. And he wants to, he wants to serve us just the way we are. Jesus, he lived his life to serve us sacrificially. And this is how he redefines greatness. Because greatness is not about status, but greatness is about service. So I'm going to allow Jesus to serve us in a moment. I'm going to lead us into a time of prayer. So let's do this. I'm going to invite you to just close our eyes. So as we close our eyes, as we invite God, we just quietly join me right now. Lord, uh, we choose to rejoice in your unfailing love today. Thank you for serving us by coming down from heaven to earth to be with us and to give us life through your son, Jesus. Father, we, we accept the relational assignments that you will give us in advance this upcoming week. So I want to ask you now to just pause and think of names and faces that may come to your mind right now that you may interact with. And we just ask Jesus how you can serve that person.
for those of you who are going through hurt right now, or perhaps deep loneliness or sadness, or perhaps you came here this morning feeling angry, we just ask Jesus now to fill you with the Holy Spirit. So allow Jesus to serve you right now, Spirit of God. Because we know that when the, wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Oh, Jesus, thank you for serving us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being our God. We behold you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.